When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's about that time of year when I could use a vacation. Just a nice island getaway. And Arizona has islands to spare. Okay, maybe not those kind of islands. But we do have county islands. And much like islanders across the globe, these desert islanders like to live on their own terms. Welcome to Valley 101, an Arizona Republic and AZ Central podcast, where we explore your questions about Metro Phoenix and beyond. I'm producer Kaylee Monahan. In today's episode, we're answering the question, what are county islands? Listener Paul Beckman went to Valley101 at azcentral.com to submit this question. What is the story with county islands? I relocated from Pennsylvania, and this county island concept is foreign to me. I must confess, I was also unsure what county islands were, and I grew up here. I've heard the term before, but was uncertain as to what it really meant. For answers, I turned to our own Sasha Hupka, county watchdog reporter for the Arizona Republic. So if you look on a map, like if you go to Google Maps and you click on a city, in light red you'll see kind of the city area with dark red lines delineating city boundaries. And you might see these little jagged kind of pieces of area that are not shaded in the red right in the middle of a city. And that is a county island. By definition, county islands are pieces of unincorporated land. They don't belong to a municipality, which means a lot of things. You pay less in taxes on a county island than you do if you live in the boundaries of a city. And the reason for that is because county islands get less services in a lot of regards than people who live in cities do. County islands also have different rules around things like livestock. One of my sources told me that one of the big reasons why she decided to live in unincorporated Maricopa County was because she wanted to be able to own livestock um, and she wanted to have that way of life. It also means that you can have backyard chickens. who's lived in Phoenix for a while will probably know that backyard chickens is a contentious issue for Phoenicians. But that's a story for another episode. Living in a county island also means there's fewer restrictions on what you can do with your house and property. If you want to paint your house blue and yellow with a green fence, you can probably do it. Right now, a lot of cities are thinking about their drought preparation plans because of the cutbacks on the Colorado River. And there are some cities 
where there's a stage in their drought preparation plan where they start limiting how often you can water your lawn and different things like that. And that is not a restriction that exists on unincorporated county land. And so there are lots of benefits to to living there. You have less rules. That sense of freedom is really attractive to a lot of people and truly speaks to the Wild West nature of our state. For Laura Passmore, living on a county island was the dream. I'd say when we bought there 14 years ago, no, we didn't realize how many uh, differences there were. We were happy that, you know, there were no HOA restrictions. We were happy that we had more freedom with what we wanted to do with our property and our home. And we did like, you know, that we didn't have as much involvement, I'd say, with having having city services come through and, you know, our street sweepers are, we don't have all, you know, all the roads are paved and all the lights are coming up. We like that there was the absence of those things. We appreciated that we could still see the stars. We were focusing on all the positives. And to this day, I mean, we, there are far more positives for us than negatives. Laura lives on a county island in the Northwest Valley near Peoria. She spoke with Sasha Hupka on the phone about those positives and negatives. For us, we wanted the space that you find more typically on a county island. We wanted acreage, and that's not something that's as available within the municipality, uh, at least in the Northwest Valley. So for us, you know, we saw more benefit to it. We'll hear the rest of Laura's story after this short break. Hi, this is Amanda Liberto, the other podcast producer. Did you know there's an easy way to stay on top of all of our podcasts plus news from across the state? Just download the free AZ Central app. Find it in your app store and in Google Play. Now back to the story. So we know what county islands are. We know why people like living on them. But why do we even have them in the first place? And why don't other parts of the country have them? The truth of the matter is that it's a very Western United States phenomena. That's not to say you couldn't see a county island east of the Rockies, but it's far more rare. I'm from New York, and we do not have county islands where I'm from. That isn't a thing. You either live in a city or a town, or you don't. And when I first moved here, I didn't know about county islands either. They, generally speaking, develop when some property owners don't want to be incorporated for a variety of different reasons. And that's where you see those county islands form, is when a group of property owners essentially say, you know, we don't really want to be annexed into a city. By law, you have to have 51% of people on a county island agree to annexation. And generally speaking, it's something that the county has no control over. Cities and the people who live on unincorporated land are the people who make decisions about what gets annexed in and what doesn't.
here in the West, we've seen a lot more county islands because population has boomed really, really quickly. I imagine that if you were in New York or Pennsylvania back in the 1800s when a bunch of different cities and towns were popping up, if you know these rules were in place there, you would maybe see county islands there. But just the structure of city versus county versus state was not as defined back then as it is now. And so you've really seen these predominantly in the Western U.S. The Valley has a lot, but these are also a thing in, in other places in the Western U.S. So how many county islands are there? Sasha says there are more than 300 of them in and around Metro Phoenix. They tend to kind of bubble up in places that are really fast growing. Another kind of interesting thing about them is that a lot of times the address won't actually match the boundaries. So you could have somebody who lives in a county island in the middle of Tempe, but their address says that they live in Tempe. And perhaps they're on a school district boundary, so their kids go to Chandler schools. And that can be really confusing. In theory, county islands can pop up anywhere. I remember my parents driving on the southern edge of Mesa as a kid, and there was all kinds of agriculture. Of course, I didn't think deeply about why that agriculture was there. Rather, in typical kid fashion, I'd wrinkled my nose and say, Ew, smells like cows. But that was unincorporated land. In theory, they can be anywhere, but I think you tend to see them more so in really fast-growing areas, and particularly metro areas, that used to kind of have a lot of farmland around them. So if you think about the valley and you think about Phoenix, outside of Phoenix, a lot of like what now is Mesa used to be farmland. Not content with being gobbled up by one of the largest suburbs in the nation, Queen Creek charted its own path. In 1989, Queen Creek residents voted to incorporate. According to a statement from Queen Creek, quote, Mesa and Gilbert started annexing, and they annexed right out into Queen Creek. It was a wake-up call for us. There were those of us in the community that did not want to be swallowed up by Mesa or Gilbert. I think a lot of whether or not we see county islands disappearing from some of those more landlocked cities will depend on the people who live in them. It also honestly might depend on the city. Some cities don't necessarily want to annex county islands if, you know, there's not some sort of driving force for them to do so. Usually I think cities kind of have some idea as to what would be the best use of the land if they were to annex the county islands within their borders. Sometimes what the best use of the land is might not really match something that they particularly need or want right now. Sometimes land maybe would be best served by being used for industrial purposes because there's some other industrial zoned land around there and they don't really feel like they need more industrial land right now. So they're kind of happy to just let it be. But again, ultimately, it really does come down to the people who live there. But even as the valley grows, county islands won't disappear entirely. 
Rather, they will continue to crop up around the edges as municipalities expand. Governance in these islands is also a unique feature of unincorporated land. They are represented by the county board of supervisors, the same way as every other resident of Maricopa County is.、Um, and the board of supervisors, you know, what they say, any rules they make for county land is what goes. Generally speaking, again, that means that there are less rules on county land, and they don't necessarily have that same. City council watching over you the same way that somebody who lives in like Peoria or Glendale or Chandler or Gilbert or Scottsdale or Avondale might. Now there are some downsides to living in this urban frontier. Again, depending just on your personal preferences and, and your way of life. Because there's no rules on what you can do on your land, if your neighbor happens to have a rooster that wakes up every morning at 4 a.m. and cockledoodledoos its lungs out right next to your bedroom window, there's not a lot you can really do about that. Besides, maybe go talk to your neighbor and ask them, like, "Hey, could you relocate your rooster? Because this is really getting getting old. I don't want to wake up at 4 a.m. every morning to your rooster." And as previously mentioned. You don't get the same services as incorporated city dwellers, so that means a lot of things. It means that, in terms of police and fire, generally speaking, you'll be dealing with private fire companies that the county contracts with, and you'll also probably be dealing with the sheriff's office.、Um, you don't have a city police department. Now, to be clear, there is a concept called mutual aid, where essentially, if you call nine one one because your house is burning down, generally speaking, they are going to send out whoever is closest to you. So, if you live in a county island in Tempe and you call nine one one and you say my house is burning down, they probably will route the call first to whatever the nearest county fire station is and see how far away that station is from you, but. Then, if they see that the nearest county fire station is 30 miles away, they are going to call up Tempe Fire Department and say, "Hey, their house is burning down. Can you go help?" You're not going to be left totally on your own, but there is kind of a little bit of a lag time, right, in between all of that communication happening to figure out who's closest to you, who's supposed to get to you first. And in the event of non-emergency things, like say, for instance, that you know you. Have a noise complaint for your neighbor, or you know, you come home and you realize that your door is open, and you think somebody may have been in your house and gone through your stuff. It might take the sheriff a little bit to get out there because the county is a really big place, and they only have a limited number of stations and officers, so it could take them a while to get there. Another rather bizarre downside of County Islands happened to Laura Passmore. Her story is really interesting because about two years ago, she got really, really into it with this rock quarry. 
there was a rock crushing operation that was happening on unincorporated county land, basically right next to her. Where she lives is on the edge of like Peoria. And this rock quarry was impacting not only her neighborhood, but also the neighborhood next to hers that is in city limits. We were all impacted by the noise and the dust. The we Laura's referring to here are both her neighbors on the county island, as well as those who lived close by, but within the city limits of Peoria. The rock quarry sat on a piece of state land that was actually zoned for potential mining use. So the operation was legal on all accounts. The quarry not only caused a lot of noise and dust, but it operated 24-7 with large trucks rolling by carrying the gravel. Laura and her neighbors wanted to file a complaint, but it wasn't so easy since the company that set up the gravel-making operations had all its permits in order. It was partly in the county, it was partly on city property, and it was partly on private land, state trust land. So it made it a bit complicated. Nobody felt they had jurisdiction when we went to city officials or even when we talked to MCSO. That's the Maricopa County Sheriff's Office. Everybody was confused as far as how to enforce any of the noise restrictions or, you know, the EPA standards as far as dust goes. So instead, uh, we made a little more noise because they want to have public happy with them. Basically, the buck kept getting passed. Peoria said that the issue belonged to the county, since the operations were happening on county land. Maricopa County said that a noise nuisance is a city thing and that Peoria should handle it. From the state's perspective, it was a county issue. So around and around it went. That summer of 2020, when Sasha caught wind of this story, ended up being a catalyst for some change. So I spoke at length with the head of the Arizona Land Trust Association because they were about to renew their lease on that land, we had a petition signing group that, you know, everybody went around and got multiple signatures within both communities. And then I submitted them, you know, to all the powers that be. And basically, we let them know that now when articles come out, we are going to keep on making noise until you hear us because our quality of life and our home values are going to be impacted. And what we found was that Uh, they were willing to mitigate what they could, you know, with less cost to them. They were willing to turn down some lights so they weren't facing directly at the neighborhood. They were willing to reduce the hours that they were grinding rock and making, you know, noise. As far as the dust goes, I'm going to say that they still had to be vigilant. Sasha followed up with Laura to hear how things have changed since the article came out. There was definitely an improvement. We didn't get them to go away, but truly, I mean, what it's all about is everybody has the right to work within the rules and make money and do well with what they're doing. But when it impacted community members to that degree, residents especially, it wasn't the rules that protected us because there are a lot of exemptions with the mining industry that we didn't realize. I didn't know until I was sitting at a table with the head lobbyist, the mayor, all, all the different people from all the powers that be that finally said, I don't understand this. Here are the guidelines, here's what's happening. And finally, somebody said, 
the mining industry is protected. They're exempt from a lot of these rules. And I'm like, oh my gosh, okay. But they do want everyone happy with them. So yes, once they realized that the public was becoming more and more aware, they settled. And now I think we've got a more symbiotic relationship. They can grow their business, do what they want to do, as long as they aren't impacting our quality of life to that degree. Everybody gave a little, I'd say. Thank you, Paul, for submitting your question. And if you have questions about what makes Phoenix Phoenix or our state at large, submit them to valley101 at azcentral.com. And if you like this story, I encourage you to go back and listen to our other episodes. You can find Valley 101 wherever you subscribe to your podcasts. You can also support this and all the work we do by subscribing to azcentral.com. I'm your producer, Kaylee Monahan. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.